We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle, episode 97 with Amy Locke. We're going to continue my discussion with Amy Locke today, and it's really fascinating. We're going to talk about how English is a second language for students who are deaf and hard of hearing and what Amy does at her school to help support them. We're also going to talk about how sometimes she feels like an outsider and it is a really great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones and please like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash transformative principle. So I'd like to talk a little bit about things like classroom management and stuff like that. Obviously, you've got smaller class sizes, but what kind of issues do you do you see with discipline and classroom management and things like that? Most of our discipline issues, this is going to sound pretty awful, come from our new students. They come in from a mainstream setting or even a self-contained st- setting, and they've had to stand up for themselves from bullying, from, for, you know, advocating, this is what I need. So they come in pretty, I don't want to say aggressive. I don't mean, when I say aggressive, I don't mean like a physical aggression, but they are overly passionate about standing up for themselves and stop picking on me. And um, so they're trying to show that their personality is as strong as everybody else's. It's for me as an administrator, it's fun to watch them calm down um, once they realize we're all the same. We all have some level of hearing loss. We have all experienced the same, the same experiences as far as, you know, we're, we're different from the hearing world. Even if I'm hard of hearing and I can communicate speaking, we're still different. And it's, it's fun to watch them realize that and work through their identity and trying to identify who they are and how they fit. So that's the the bulk of our our classroom management, our discipline issues. There is a lot of chatting. They are, in my department, they are teenagers. So, I mean, they're typical teenagers. There's the drama that happens. (laughs) My boyfriend wouldn't hold my hand walking down the hallway type things. 
But with our class sizes, we can see everybody's conversation. So in a typical classroom, the um, students' desks are in rows or they're in clumps and little groups, depending on the teacher's decision. And in our classes, they are typically in a semicircle so that communication is, is barrier-free. No one is blocking any other person's conversation so we can see what's going on. Um, and that has helped a lot of the frustration with communication dissolve, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So classroom arrangement is one way that you help teachers improve their classroom management, making sure everybody can see and communicate with each other easily. What are some other things that you do to make sure that classroom management is effective? Well, like I'm, I'm sending those three teachers next week to training. I want to empower them. I am here as a support. I am not here to usurp their roles as the authority figure in the classroom. So I, I want to empower my teachers to be, be the authority figure that they are. I do ask that when they send a child to my office that they tell me what for so that I can be as supportive as I need to be so that they can see that we are united. Communication has made a, a major impact on, on student behaviors in the classrooms and in the dorms. When we see that there is an issue between a boyfriend and girlfriend, I will call or email the um, student development office and tell them, hey, just let you know they're having an issue because that impacts their, their nightlife. When they wake up moody, they will let us know. So it's all about the communication so that we know what's going on. As far as in individual classrooms, We've got everything going on from point systems to monetary systems to, you know, empowerment of the, of the students to help with the behaviors. More often than not, we don't have a lot of behavior issues. Um, and like I said, it's typically the, the new students that are trying to find their path. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What is the, the training that you're sending your three teachers to? What are they, they going to be learning? They're going to be learning um, some various strategies that they can use. It's going to be like a positive reward, positive reinforcement training. So these are brand spanking new teachers. And so we're going to, to kind of empower them a little bit to, to let them know that the behaviors that they're seeing in their classes are not not all bad, how to de-escalate situations, and just to give them the chance to, to learn about those strategies that, you know, we learned through experience, but I want to kickstart it a little bit. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. As far as academics go, you obviously want your students to be just as successful academically as as any other students. What are some of the things that make that more difficult or do you feel like it's just the same just the same as, as everybody else, same challenges and all that? Well, I believe that we have a lot of the same challenges. I mean, we've got the parental involvement issue that does impact students no matter what their hearing ability is. And we follow the state course of study like every other school. Our biggest challenge has to do with language. For a lot of our students, their natural language is American Sign Language, and English is a second language and will always be a second language. For a lot of our students, they don't have the ability to hear the language. We, as hearing people, can accidentally learn grammar and vocabulary through, as we're growing up, through eavesdropping on mom and daddy's um, conversations, through the radio, through the TV, and we have to be explicit in teaching English with our students. 
And a lot of times they come to deaf ed classroom, whether it be here at a residential school or in a public public school, they come with a lack of exposure to language in general. Or if a parent is learning sign language when their child is, is diagnosed as deaf, there comes a point where the child typically passes the ability of their parents. So they then become the teacher of, of the language. So that's a big issue, especially when it comes to English and reading. And that is a barrier to show what they know on standardized tests. So not only say we give the ACT or the state exam, they not only have to take the English and reading test, which tests their understanding of the English language, they are also having to take science and, and history. But in order to prove their knowledge of those subjects, they first have to wade through the waters of English. So if I ask them the question in American Sign Language, they can give me all the details. They know every date and every person in that history question. And if I were to give them the same question in written English, it's more of a struggle. So you're not only testing the subject area, you're testing their knowledge of, of the written language that it's presented in. And a lot of times that is a, a very real struggle for their whole lives. Does not mean that they are any less smart, does not mean that they are any less capable. It just means that that's not their natural language, nor will it ever be. So there's a disconnect between what scores they receive and what ability they have. Well, most times they know more than what they're able to prove through standardized tests because they're not normed on deaf or hard of hearing students. They're normed on hearing students who don't have the same ability. And even if the hearing student becomes, an ESL student becomes proficient in English, they can still hear the language and pick it up and practice it. Our students, especially the profoundly deaf, it's in print only. And there are so many rules and so many irregularities with English and breaking the rules when this thing happens. It's hard to grasp when you can't hear it. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, I know I did for a long time before I knew someone who had a, a deaf child, that sign language is basically just exactly like English and you can just transliterate everything right across like you know you could say the door is over there would be the same essentially in spanish or french or italian or whatever to be a pretty similar sentence but that's not actually the case is it correct it's not the case as english and french and italian and spanish are their own language with their own syntax and semantics asl is its own language it has a very distinct um, grammatical structure and it's not necessarily easier. It is not English watered down. It is not English word order. You're just using sign language or signs to to show English. It's it's not that. American Sign Language, British Sign Language, French Sign Language is they are individually a language with their own rules that that go along with it. And we as as hearing people, we have English classes every year from kindergarten through graduation. And then if we choose to go on college, we still have to take English classes. There's no such standard for deaf and hard of hearing students. So their language is passed down kind of as an oral tradition would be passed down from person to person. So it's fun this year. I'm able to watch more closely. We, we do provide ASL classes to our students who are pursuing an advanced academic diploma option. And instead of being taught as ASL as a foreign language, 
they are approaching it as their, their, their L1, their first language and dissecting it as we grew up doing with English. So they're learning the grammatical structure and the reason why they communicate the way they do. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch that, that, that transformation where they realize, Oh wait, I am bilingual. I'm not different. I'm not less than because I can't hear because my English is weak. I am learning to be bilingual. This is a real language. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome and pretty empowering to, to, for them as they, they go on and enter, you know, life outside of high school. Yeah. And you talked earlier about the kids who are new to the school and coming from a place where they had to advocate for themselves so much more. And I imagine that there would be this feeling of, oh, this is, I'm not just bilingual, but this is a real language that is actually being taught like any other language. And there's a real reason why these things are how they are, not just that's what my mom taught me or that's what whatever teacher taught me. Right. I imagine that's very empowering for them to to feel that and to to know that, you know, they're not just all alone and I think that that is I just think that's so cool. They are and it's it's fun to watch that transformation where they come in advocating and then they realize they don't have to because we understand. Um, they don't have to fight for notes to, in class before the presentation. They don't have to fight to be able to take the copy of the PowerPoint before the teacher talks. They don't have to beg for accommodations to allow them to uh, wear their hearing aids on standardized tests. They don't have to ask for preferential uh, seating because they all are in the preferred seat. Um, it's fun, and it's fun to watch the parents as they realize that they don't have to fight so hard, that they don't have to educate us on what is needed for their child nearly as much. I mean, they're still the parents and they still want what's best for them, but the IEP meetings are less combative. That's pretty, pretty awesome. And it makes us feel good that we are on the right track and are able to give the parents and the students a little respite from the fight they've had for however long they've been in school. I mean, there's still some things that happen. Of course, there's arguments or, or disagreements that happen, but those are few and far in between. So I had an IEP meeting this year uh, of a brand new student. He's joined my department and his father spent the first 30 minutes of our IEP meeting educating us on deaf education. And when we got finished with developing the IEP, he said, I apologize for, for starting off like that. I didn't realize that you, you guys know what you're doing. And it's pretty inspiring for us to keep, to, you know, keep going when that realization hits them. It's pretty fantastic. That is very cool. Do you ever feel that you are seen as an outsider because you're not hard of hearing? And Yes. <laughs> okay, good. I kind of thought that might happen. Yes, I am. I am definitely an outsider. When I was teaching, a lot of my students thought I was hard of hearing for a while until very specifically remember when I was teaching third and fourth grade in Houston, one of my students passed gas and I turned around and he was in awe that two things, one that I could hear it and two that it had a sound. So it's fun to, to watch that. But when I moved here to the residential school, I am definitely an outsider in that I'm hearing, but I'm choosing to step into this culture. So that gives me some level of acceptance as well. I understand their plight. I understand what's needed as far as advocacy is concerned. And I've been in this field long enough to know that 
if you try, if you give a valiant effort, if you show that effort, more often than not, um, the deaf community will accept you. So that's pretty, pretty awesome, too, that, you know, I'm in the deaf community through adoption, so to speak. Yeah, that is really fascinating. The last question that I ask every time is, what is one thing that someone can do to be a transformative principal like you are? I think to be transformative, you need to know your population. I think you need to not only know the population of your students and their needs, both as far as accommodations are concerned, but also their home life and where they're coming from, their perspectives. You need to know the, your, the population of teachers. As we try to individualize our education for our students, I need to individualize my professional development for my, for my staff. And I have to make the accommodations necessary to make things accessible. But I also have to know the population of my parents um, and where they're coming from as well. So I know that most of my parents have had to fight for the rights of their child. I know that some of my parents are deaf themselves, so I've got to make sure that I communicate effectively with them and don't you know, leave them out and understand their preferred method of communication. So I think in order to be transformative, you really just need to know your population and then work to fit, meet their needs and empower them as well. Yeah, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of the podcast today. Well, thank you. What a great interview. I feel so inspired after listening to that. And one of the things she said in the in episode 96 that I really want you to take to heart is that she learned how to be a good principal at her school by listening to what other principals are doing at their schools that are not like hers. I hope you'll take the time to listen to that and apply what you've learned here to your school. And really, I think what she said at the end, how to be a transformative principal is to understand and know your population. That is so powerful. And when you do that, you really can make an impact. So take what you've learned from this and please apply it at your school because she's got some great information here. I'd also like to remind you about... uh, a couple of weeks ago, I released an episode about the Picker app that uh, my school developed. And I hope you'll, if you're doing any ad hoc grouping or doing any, any RTI tier two interventions, this is a great way to organize that and make sure that you know where the kids are and provide them extra opportunities. I think it's really great. And uh, it's based on the work of Mike Matos and Austin Buffum. And it's just an amazing tool that will help you create groups for tier two interventions in a very easy way and be very streamlined. So I hope you enjoy it and, uh, and please go to PICKR.org and um, take a look at what it can do. Totally free, won't ever cost you anything. It's open source, so you can even adjust it to fit how what you need at your school. This is Transformative Principle, and you've been listening to, and my name is Jethro Jones. Thank you so much for listening. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the EduPodcast Network. You can see a lot of other great shows at edupodcastnetwork.com. If you're looking for a little pick-me-up, check out Always the Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, where Gretchen helps educators feel empowered and reignites their passion and potential.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.